0: Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing
1: here? I should have brought my lightsaber. Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Star Wars Bookworms. This is episode number four, our April show. Um, to start off, uh, Teresa Delgado is the co-host normally here, but she is not able to make it this week. Uh, so it's just me, Aaron Goins, your other host. And before you tune out, we do have a guest this week that's going to be kind of filling in for Teresa. Uh, some of you may have heard of him. His, uh, he is a writer over at TFN, and he is also a host of The Force Cast. And his name is Eric Geller. Welcome, Eric. Hey, Aaron. Great to be here. Thanks for coming on. Um, before Absolutely. Before we... Before we get into uh, the stuff that we're going to talk about and the book and comic that we're going to review, I just wanted to do a quick, just a uh, recap of kind of what the show is, just if just in case this is the first time you found us. Um, just a quick recap. So basically, this is a, a monthly show that we're going to do. Uh, we're basically doing record or reviews of all of the Del Rey books and Dark Horse comics that come out, all the new ones. So we'll be doing that. Um, as they come out, we will wait, uh, because of spoilers, we will wait at least a month before we get into the deep spoilers. Uh, so, for example, the the book that we're covering this month, The Last Jedi, actually came out in February. So we've given you guys plenty of time to read the book uh, before we, rec- we cover it in, in detail. As far as the comics go, the comics that we're going to be covering... We're going to wait until those come out in the trade paperback. So we're not going to actually cover each individual issue. We're going to wait until they collect them into the the individual story arcs and then we'll cover them uh, that way. So that's just kind of a quick overview of of what we're going to do on the show. Uh, The shows will probably go about an hour. And like like I said before, Teresa's not here today, but normally the show is hosted by me, Aaron Goins, and uh, Teresa Delgado. Um, So that's just a quick overview. But um, back to you, Eric. How you doing? It's been a little while since I talked to you.
0: Yeah, it's been a little while. I'm doing good. We just um, actually just had to uh, postpone a Forcecast recording last night, so I know that next week we will have a chock-full show, and it's, it's fun to uh, put together a lineup and sort of see the week come together. So that's where I am, sort of looking, at, looking ahead to our next show, and, and of course, always monitoring the latest uh, Star Wars developments at Force.net as
1: well. And for, for you listeners, I'm pretty sure you've probably heard of the Forcecast, but just in case you haven't, uh, it's a great Star Wars podcast out there. Uh, recently, has gone through some some changes with the hosts. They're still a great show, and Eric is one of the new hosts, as along with um, another guy named Eric. What's his last name? Blythe, Eric Blythe. Blythe. Yeah, so they, they've actually uh, changed the format a little bit, but it's still a great Star Wars podcast, so I'd recommend anybody checking that out. Thank you, and we do talk about books and
0: comics as well. So,
1: All right, so um, what have you been uh, reading lately as far as Star Wars goes?
0: Well, right now I'm in the middle of, I sort of am in the middle of two books because I got my electronic uh, advanced copy of Crucible and I started that. And then I got uh, Dawn of the Jedi and I said, well, this is coming out sooner, so I should probably focus on that. So I put aside Crucible and I'm a, I'm a few chapters into Dawn of the Jedi. It's pretty interesting.
1: yeah. Um, I kinda had the same predicament, I actually have both of those uh, galleys as well, and I was already reading Crucible, like you said, then I got Dawn of the Jedi, so, um, but I decided to go ahead and keep going through Crucible, so I'm about, probably about 40% of the way through it, but um, that book doesn't come out until July, so we we definitely don't want get to into, get into that too much, but... Uh, just maybe, like, gave it, give us maybe a couple words is your your impression so far of Crucible. Hmm, Crucible. Without uh, without getting us in trouble with Del Rey. <laughs> okay,
0: uh, let's see, a couple words. I will say very intriguing.
1: Very there's, intriguing. There's some
0: stuff in there that makes me want to race to the end of the book. It took a lot of willpower to put it aside for, uh, for Dawn of the Jedi. Yeah, how far into it did you say you were? Uh, I'm about halfway through Crucible.
1: Okay, so you're a little bit further than me. Yeah, so far... It's, uh, it's been interesting, I, I like it, uh, and it's definitely a little bit different than what I expected, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of getting all the way through it just to, to get the full picture, but so far I'm liking what I'm reading. Alright, so um, today our discussion topic is going to be the new The Star Wars comic that was announced. This was actually announced on April 1st, well I think it was announced a couple days before that. Um, but they made their official, like, wet online announcement on April 1st, which kind of threw some people off because I definitely think some people thought it was fake. But if you haven't heard about it, it's basically a comic that is going is to be coming from Dark Horse. It's going to be eight issues, and it is going to be based on the, I guess, the first draft of the of the Star Wars movie that George Lucas, as he was writing it, uh, this is based on some of the early draft work that he had done. So the story has definitely, had definitely evolved before it made it to screen. Um, and from what I hear, you can actually go online and find you know, the storyline uh, because those have been posted over the years. So have you ever actually gone online, and Eric, and checked out the Star Wars? Uh,
0: I have not. I I do want to check it out now that I've seen some of the preview imagery for this comic um, because I'm I'm not a huge comic guy, but I I the way that they're presenting this makes me want to sort of figure, get inside George Lucas's head, and it kind of looks like that's what they're doing here.
1: Yeah, it's pretty. I think it's a pretty cool idea. I think some people kind of rolled their eyes when this announcement came out, but I for me I I kind of like the idea of it. It's something completely different, and obviously we know it's not canon. Um, and it's just something, that a fun side story, kind of like maybe a, almost a what-if kind of story. Um, you know, what if he hadn't made those changes, and these this is the way the story would have turned out. So um, I'm pretty excited. Um, actually, let's see, here. I have a quote here from J.W. Uh He's actually going to be the writer for the Dark Horse comics uh, for the Star Wars. He says... I'm having a blast adapting George Lucas's prototypical ideas into sesqu- sequential storytelling. It's a dream task to help bring to life Anakin Starkiller, General Luke Skywalker, the first Sith Knights, a space fortress that's attacked twice, Imperial Troopers on Dune Birds, the very first Princess Leia from planet Aqu- Aquile, I think, and there's much more in the Star Wars. So that's a quote from J.W. Rinzler. And just from that quote, it's pretty interesting sounding stormtroopers that are riding dune birds, you know, Sith knights, not Jedi knights, and, you know, so it's pretty interesting. I, I've never actually read the story online either, so I'm not, and I, I think I'm going to wait until the comics actually come out because I, I want to follow the story and not be spoiled, but um, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, I know you're not really much of a comic book reader, Eric, but um, do you think you'll check this one out? I think I'll check this one out if only so that
0: I can figure out what George Lucas was thinking when he decided to make Han solo an eight foot tall
1: green lizard. <laughs> I know like how did he get from green lizard to the like the the rogue handsome man like how did that happen?
0: yeah, just like contrast every scene in a, in a new hope and 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 replace dashing suave Han solo with this monstrosity,
1: yeah, I wonder if it's kind of like he came up with the idea for Han Solo to be this giant lizard character and then it almost broke off into two characters where you have Han Solo that we know now plus Chewbacca so maybe that's kinda what happened certainly possible just my wild speculation sounds interesting I'll check it out sounds like you're gonna check it out and we'll see how it is alright so let's go ahead and get into the reviews here this month we're gonna be reviewing the novel The Last Jedi this novel came out on February 26, 2013. So, we've had at least uh, almost two months now since it came out. So, hopefully, you guys have read it before you're hearing this, because we are going to be getting into some spoilers. So, um, if you if you don't want to hear any spoilers, maybe fast forward until until the next review, um, or wait and listen to the episode later. Um, but we will be getting into spoilers. So, this book was was written by Michael Reeves and Catherine Maya. Bonhoff, I think is the right way to say her name. Let me just quickly read the publisher's summary. Ever since Emperor Palpatine's Order 66, which called for the execution of all Jedi, Jax Pavan is the last knight around to fight the dark side of the Force. Together with his droid I-5, Jax has eluded Vader time and again, all the while wreaking havoc against the Empire through the underground resistance on Coruscant. But now the rebel's leader on the city planet has been captured. And it's up to the last Jedi to ride again, possibly for one final adventure. So that's that's kind of the story uh, in this book, *The Last Jedi*. The timeline for this is 18 and 17 years before the Battle of Yavin. Let's see, when was Luke Skywalker born? Do you know? Ah,
0: uh, well, it was right. Well, it was in Episode Three, which is 19 years. So, around 19
1: years. Okay, so it's not that long after Episode Three, so. So we're talking a pretty young Darth Vader here, you know, still freshly, you know, Darth Vader uh, with a little, maybe a couple years to, to get used to that suit, just to kind of put you guys into the, you know, the time frame here. All right, so just what were your kind of overall impressions of, of the book, without getting too deep into it, just kind of what, what did you think overall, Eric?
0: Well, my my overall thoughts would be that Jax Pavan and i5 and and Dender the main characters here are some of the most uh, enjoyable characters in this era um, this is this is an era with a lot of darkness but i think one of the things that the last jedi does really well is it allows you to see them sort of coping with these with these grim circumstances that they're in particularly Jax trying to figure out you know what happened to the Anakin that i knew and you know this this terrible secret that he knows the book did a good job of not making it just out and out depressing i mean they it, it was it was written in, in such a way where you can really empathize with jacks that that he had to bear the burden of not only probably being the last one but also knowing what had happened to the person that had basically slaughtered them all and having been friends with this guy it it was not like a dense psychological treatise on on depression or on you know lost relationships and friendships. It was actually a fairly um, a fun, fast-moving story, but it had this sort of purge, uh, Order 66 heaviness to it.
1: Yeah. I'd, I'm going to say right off the bat, I kind of was a little hot and cold on this book. As I was reading through it, there were moments, I think more toward the beginning, where I was kind of like, okay, uh, this is not really interesting me. And then it would get into other parts of the book, like more toward the half halfway point when they're going to Mandalore, they're going to Dathomir, these different planets, where I got really excited about what was going on. And then toward the end, I kind of got bored again. So really, like there was parts of it I really liked and other parts I didn't. And I have to admit, and, and part of the problem probably is that I didn't read all three of the Coruscant Night books. I'm guessing that you did. Yeah. Okay. Um, because I feel like this book really, it almost felt like it should have been part of that series, like the fourth book of that series, rather than being sold as a standalone.
0: Yeah, the, when I interviewed the authors for um, for the Forsyte Net, one of the things that that Maya Catherine Bonhoff mentioned is that they were originally going to make this the fourth book, and early um, promotional materials listed it as as the fourth book, and then they were sort of told let's push this out a little bit and and set it off from the other three and make it more accessible by pitching it as a standalone but you're right it did very much just feel like a simple continuation of the
1: the struggles that these characters have already been going through for the the previous three books yeah because i read the first book of course on lights and that was like i don't even remember when that came out um but it, it had to be years ago right that was probably
0: 2006 maybe
1: Okay, so yeah, we're talking, yeah, that's a long, it's been a while since I've read it, basically. Um, but I, I remember reading the first one and enjoying it, and then thinking, okay, I'm going to read, you know, the next one and as they come out. But then, I, whatever, for whatever reason, I never read the next one or the third one. So the only thing I have to, to know about these characters is all coming from the very first book. And I feel like I missed a lot in the, in the middle. That would have probably helped my enjoyment of this this final book. Um, now, I know some of these characters, like I-5 and Den Durr, they actually show up in other novels. Um, and I did read the, um, the MedStar books, and um, I believe I-5 was in Darth Maul Shadowhunter.
0: Yeah, what did you think of I-5?
1: Now, see, that's the thing, and, and like the different reviews that I've been reading about this book... Like, it seems like he's, he's kind of like a favorite character. And, you know, he's been in a lot of novels, not just these four, but like I said, you know, some other ones too. But for me, he's never been that great of a character. Like, I kind of find him annoying. Like, <laughs> Real? So you, you probably don't like C-3PO either. Yeah, see, yeah, that's true. Like, I remember when I first, um, when I started reading the EU for the first time, the post-Return of the Jedi stuff, I was always hoping every time I read a new book that they would kill C-3PO.
0: <laughs> that's, well, I, I kind of feel like I-5 is C-3PO's body with R2-D2's personality.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. It's like
0: he's saying all the things that R2 wished he could say to C-3PO.
1: That's a good point. And I think I liked him in, in Darth Maul's Shadowhunter, but I think maybe just over time, like reading more and more about him, I just started to get kind of annoyed with his personality because he just didn't seem very droid-like. You know, he just started to almost seem human, which I think is probably on purpose because of the way this book goes. You know, he's got a Force signature. And at the end, the very end of the book, to you know, to jump way ahead, they kind of imply that he may even have a little bit of Force sensitivity. Yeah, that was interesting. And, like, that really kind of turned me off to the character because I feel like you're taking it to a level... I don't know. You're opening a can there.
0: <laughs> it makes me wonder what separates him from other droids. If he's got some force sensitivity, I mean, it's a nice, it's like a nice, heartwarming sentiment for the story that he's, he's more of a person than just any old droid. But I mean, how how are you explaining that? I would really like to hear Leland Chi explain how that works.
1: Yeah, and that's I know there's been, you know, to get real geeky about the EU, but there there has been some droid Jedi Knights called the Iron Knights. Um, but that was more, they were a droid body, but then they were actually these crystals that were sentient, that were inside of the droids. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that at all.
0: Is that That's from the um, Legacy era, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I haven't read those.
1: Yeah, and I think it's not even really from, I, they may have gotten a mention in, in like a New Jedi Order book, but I think it's more from um, like magazine articles and you know Wizards of the Coast gaming stuff like not it's not even actually from a novel so that's how that's how deep I'm getting into the EU here with this <laughs> but yeah so there is some you know there has been in the past droid jedi but not quite the same way they're doing it here with i5 and like at the very end of the book i think it's even one of the last lines Jax Pavin says i wonder if i can train a, a droid to be a jedi which I don't know if he was kind of saying that off the cuff, like haha or if that's kind of something that we should take seriously. What do you think about that?
0: Well, I hope we don't take it seriously. I mean, I I wouldn't I wouldn't like to see you know once you start carving out exceptions to hard and fast rules, it gets kind of slippery. I mean, are we now going to say that as long as you have the right stuff in your in your metal body that you can be trained as a as a Jedi? I don't know. That's that that seemed like an interesting aside, maybe just Jack's sort of musing on the idea of maybe the blurring lines of sentience, but I don't, I hope that he didn't actually, you know, seriously consider that.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, probably not too, but it's just, I think the overall thing with I-5 starting, you know, where they were saying he had a four signature, he was different, you know, it just, to me, it got a little annoying, and I didn't really, his character definitely wasn't my favorite. What about Jack's? Um... How, what do you think about him as a character?
0: Well, I mean, like I said, I, I appreciated the way that they handled his, um, his, his his feelings, I guess. Simply put, the way that he was trying to reconcile the Anakin that he once knew with, with this guy who was hunting down all of his friends. I mean, it. I think more than a lot of sort of story said in this time, Jax is able to articulate in his sort of inner monologue what it would be like to be part of this group and then to think that you're the last one. I mean, we know he's not, but he, he was he was a vessel for a, a pretty good explanation of, of what that would feel like. Now, that is pretty much where my praise for Jax ends. I think, you know, that that's a central part of his character, but everything else about him is so generic and um, bland, I guess, that, you know, whenever he's interacting with people and the... Um, the focus is not on the fact that he's the last jedi or the fact that he knew Anakin Skywalker whenever it's just some other other issue whether whether mundane or exciting it It still feels like it could be any jedi. There doesn't seem to be anything very unique about him um except for the fact that he knew Anakin Skywalker yeah he doesn't distinguish himself, I guess that's what I would say
1: yeah he he comes across to me as a very plain jedi and i and I think that's one of the reasons why I never really latched on to him as a character. Um, he, I found him somewhat interesting, but then at other times I was like, this guy could be anybody. Like, he could be... They, this story could have been about any number of Jedi. Um, there was nothing unique or special, I thought, really about him. He's like the
0: Dash Rendar of Jedi.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, and the thing that... One of the things, too, that kind of I didn't really get was like, how Darth Vader is so intent on this guy. Like Jax Pavin. He's so important. And in my mind it's like, really? Like <laughs> I've never even heard of Jax Pavin. Like, you know, he's I almost would have rather, if they're gonna write a story about a Jedi that doesn't matter, than use villains that don't really matter. You know, kind of make it a complete side story, kinda like they did with Scourge. Where it's this Jedi we don't really care that much about villains we don't really care that much about. They all live in the same little world that could be pretty much anywhere. And, you know, you kind of just, you just read the story as its own little pocket universe. But as they try to tie this story in, you know, to the larger story, and in my mind, I'm thinking, man, Darth Vader at this time probably had better things to do than deal with this guy. Like, the The Last Jedi, which even that title kind of, like as an EU fan, and you probably you know you know as well, he's not the last Jedi, right? You know, there's there's so many EU stories already out there, comics, books, whatever, where there's plenty of Jedi that survived Order sixty six. Luke even finds a Jedi after you know years and years and years, where he reestablishes the Jedi Order. Like someone like Streen, right? Is that was Streen a Jedi before? I think so. But yeah, so basically what I'm saying is there's lots of Jedi he's not the last Jedi but they really focus on the fact that he is the last Jedi and that he's so important and to me it just kinda didn't make sense but that's just me but I think these were just the things these were the reasons why I couldn't really you know latch on onto this story but I will tell you some of the things I did like and we'll see how you felt about some of these things um, I love the stuff with the holocron and when he went to Dathomir and he's trying to figure out how to get the knowledge from this holocron like, that's the part where I really started getting interested in the book. And actually, at that point in the book, I was really enjoying it. I was, you know, I was ready to give it four out of five stars kind of thing. You know, it was really, you know, getting into kind of some of the Sith history, which I love. And it had almost like a Darth Bane novel kind of feel to it. As he's discovering, you know, how to open this. He's got to open it with blood. And he's kind of like, they almost tease you into thinking, oh, he's going to kill this this chick just so he can open this holocron. But then, of course, he finds a more clever way to do it. But that was the stuff that I really liked. What do you think, Eric?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm generally not a huge, like, Sith um, mysticism uh, fan. I mean, I enjoyed um, uh, Luceno's uh, Darth Plagueis because there was a lot of politics and and machinations. It wasn't all just sort of witchcraft. Um, The Dathomir scenes for me were, I mean, they were kind of interesting because you never know if... um, If the the witches are going to just attack him right then in the air, especially when one of them sort of finds out that he's he's got this dark device with him, Um, and you're right. I mean, there was there was I think one of the only moments of sort of genuine trepidation for me as I was reading this book was, is he going to kill her? Um, But you know, I actually enjoyed more the scenes where he's sort of bantering with his friends. That the the whole thing where he's trekking across this sort of barren plain on Dathomir. I could take it or leave it. It wasn't. It wasn't super compelling to me. But I, maybe I'm just looking for different things in in Star Wars books.
1: Yeah. So so we're kind of on opposite ends here. I think the stuff that you liked is probably is different than the stuff I liked, which is good. You know, we're getting different opinions, which is always good. Um, did you th- Did you feel like they were kind of jumping around a lot? Like I felt like it was like these. He kept flying back and forth from all these different places. Like he went to. Mandalore, he went to Dathomir, he went to this base, he went back to Dathomir, he went back to, like, he just seemed like he was going all over the place, um, almost, like, too easy, like, are all these planets right next to each other? Maybe they are. Did you did you kind of get that? I, I felt like I wish they would have kind of stopped in one place and just kind of told the story as opposed to jumping around so much.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this story could have worked well if it were set on one planet, and it took place uh, in various places on that planet, but it wouldn't have been this exact story. I mean, so much of what they're relying on is that you have these contacts in disparate places, you have to go make this huge sidetrack to Dathomir, which wasn't even sort of in his mind at first, and then, of course, you've got this hidden uh, space station where they're interrogating the rebel leader. So I think this particular story needed all that travel, but I think you're right, you could have had a, a similar tale, uh, if they sort of condensed the the different elements so that it could fit on one planet. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the the, the jumping around that they did seemed to be necessary for the story.
1: Okay. Yeah, and, and another thing I noticed, it seems like the EU recently has been kind of mirroring itself, or even just the Clone Wars, but it seems like we're getting a lot of the same alien species or the same type of relationships or the same whatever organizations that are being used over and over and and part of me wonders how much of that is on purpose and how much of it is kind of coincidence but like for example they had a character in this that was a Antarian Ranger which they had a character in Mercy Kill which that was an Antarian Ranger you know that's a pretty unique group of people you don't see them pop up that often in the EU but now within the last couple novels you know, we we have characters like that. We've seen the Falene, you know, obviously in the Clone Wars. They they played a big part in season five. You know, we have uh, Prince Sheezor here, and then you have uh, Scoundrels, right? They had a lot of Falene in that as well. Um, and then obviously the Mandos, they show up. They're they're always showing up in the Star Wars novels. So did, have you did you notice that at all? Did that pop out to you, or am I kind of uh, thinking too much about this.
0: Oh no, definitely. I mean one that's one of the things that Maya mentioned to me when I asked her why she specifically did this, you know, set on Mandalore and she sort of explained that there was a culture there, there was a a sort of a mercenary past and they were a proud people and blah blah blah. But yeah, I I found myself coming away from the book thinking, you know, it definitely felt like they were pushing quite hard to keep familiar elements in there. I don't know if maybe they were nervous about introducing too many new things. I mean this is an era that, in terms of whiplash and the the underground and the different operatives here, you know, a lot of this is new. A lot of this you don't see outside of this era because these people either die or disappear after this era. It's not like entire species where you can actually have continuity across different eras. So it seemed to me that you know they went with the phalene because well they need black sun and the phalene are are high up in black sun at this point. But yeah, I mean the antarian rangers, the idea of bringing in mandalore. I don't know. It felt like they were just trying to reassure fans that this was this was the Star Wars galaxy that we know and love. Um, Maybe maybe not wanting to take a risk and introduce a new planet that had a backstory we didn't know anything about that we needed to be filled in on. They seemed to want to avoid that.
1: Yeah, and I actually really enjoyed it. That's one of the things I like in the EU is when they do reference other elements of the EU, keep it all one you know one cohesive universe and. And I love it when they tie those threads, and so those those things that were happening in the book, in this book, I really did enjoy. Now I felt like Prince uh, Shizor was a little wasted. He kind of just came and went, and they didn't really use him that much. Almost like, did they really even need to have him show up? You know, I think maybe they just kind of dropped him in there just because he's such a recognizable character.
0: Well, Um, he has a past with Jack, so that part at least made sense to me that he would take an interest in this guy. Although, again. You know, like you said with Darth Vader, why this guy in particular? They must have reports of, you know, Prince Shizor must know of other Jedi who escaped that he would be he would be interested in, you know, corrupting to his will like he tries
1: to do here. Yeah, yeah, and I think probably because I didn't read the the second and third novels, I probably did miss some of that characterization or like the relationship between Jackson and, and Shizor. You know, I wasn't even aware because by the, the end of the first novel, I don't believe he had even shown up. Right. So I wasn't even aware that he was in the other ones, and I purposely didn't go. I, I was thinking about reading the Wikipedia like kind of summaries, to kind of catch myself up on that you know that middle part that I missed. But then I was like, you know what? Maybe someday I'll go back and read those novels. So I'll just leave it leave it as it is. But I was definitely hoping that this would be more of a standalone story, and to me it really wasn't. Uh, let's see here. What else? What else could we talk about? The the Holocron. So like I was saying before, I really did enjoy. Kind of how he was trying to figure it out he opened it up and then I guess when he opens it he gets the knowledge of this this uh, this sit and the knowledge that he gained was pretty interesting the way they explained it it has it even had something to do with uh, the ability to affect time, which really intrigued me now I don't I'm not a proponent of flow walking or you know time travel in, in Star Wars. But when they do mention the ability to change time, it at least piques my interest. But then they really didn't do much with it. It kind of became a parlor trick at the end of the novel for him to trick Vader and trick a couple other people. But other than that, it kind of seemed a little bit wasted. Uh, yeah, I would
0: say so. I mean, I agree with you. I don't I don't feel very good about flow walking. Um, I think... One of the reasons why this time travel idea worked is because they didn't use it. It was just a temptation for Jacks, and after everything he's gone through, not only in the first three books, but in in you know toward the beginning of this one, he loses someone he cares about, and this this opportunity to go back and change the past was, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like a story device to facilitate activity. It was a a um, a, a story thought experiment. It, it was more of a what-if type of thing. And I like that. I think one of the problems with the idea of time being used, you know, for actual time travel is that it it's, it seems cheap. But when you use time as a, a psych, you know, like a philosophical concept, like they did in this book, where they don't actually show him using it to go places or to go times, but they show him thinking about what if he could. That, I think, actually opened up this, this whole idea of regret, and you know, second guessing that I think actually it worked pretty well.
1: Okay, so it worked well for you. Yeah. All right. Yeah, for me it did. I did seem like it was, and I don't even know what I wanted. Like, cause like you said, I don't really like the idea of time travel in Star Wars, but part of me was wanting them to do it. I don't know why. I guess because the device was there, and I'm like, let's do something interesting with it, other than just kind of, you know, he was kind of. The way he used it was like he was tricking them into seeing him, but he wasn't really there. But I feel like that's even been done before in Star Wars, without having to, to do any kind of the, you know, time travel. It's more, you know, the Jedi are able to project images into people's minds. Yeah, it was. So yeah, so it's kind of the same trick, but just a different way of doing it. So I guess I was looking to see something a little bit different than what we'd seen before. So. Let's just kind of give our final thoughts, and then the kind of the way we do it is we don't give it like a, a rating or anything like that. More, we give our overall thoughts, and then kind of recommend if we would recommend for people to read it or not. So I'm gonna go ahead and let you go first.
0: All right. Well, let's see. Final thoughts. Um, I think if you already like Jack's Pavan and you've been reading the books already, the the trilogy, this is a good continuation of that if you enjoy the the secondary characters his 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 allies this is a good book for them um, if you're not already invested in them as characters if this if this particular story of a Jedi on the run isn't your cup of tea I wouldn't recommend it just for people who want to get something in this era like if, if you're interested in this this time period this is not the book I would go with to start off I, I did enjoy it but also, I mean, I think that comes from the fact that I had read the first three. I had sort of become invested in what happened to him and to his friends, and I, I liked the the approach that they took to giving him a connection to Anakin. We didn't, we haven't really seen that too much, at least in the books. I'm not sure about the comics, but in the books, a lot of the Jedi that we talk about at this at this period of time, you know, some of them are in that book I mentioned earlier, the the Dark Lord, the Rise of Darth Vader, but they don't know him very well. It's it's he's. He's hunting them down, and they're more the objects of his hunt, but here we kind of got a reverse focus. So I like that. I think that the way that they connected Jax to Anakin provided some really good um, inner monologues for him that I found interesting.
1: Okay, so you're basically, you are it's a conditional recommendation. Exactly. That's exactly. All right, well, for me, I kind of said it before, it was hot and cold for me, there was moments in the book that um, I didn't really like, and then there was stuff I really did like. I think overall, the stuff I didn't like did a little bit outweigh the stuff I did. It wasn't one of my favorites. I think I kind of like the the ongoing story after Return of the Jedi. So when we jump back into these other eras, I really want it to be about characters I care about. You know, so kind of like they're gonna jump back and tell us, you know, a Kenobi story soon. Um, that's something I'm really interested in. It's Obi Wan Kenobi. You know, he matters. Jack's Pavan, kind of not really a character. I'm not that interested in. So that I think that's part of the problem for me. It's just a personal preference thing, the type of characters I like them to follow. And when you have four novels, if this was just one story, one novel, fine, that's great. I probably would have enjoyed it more. But the fact that I had to would have had to read four novels to really get the full experience, for me, it didn't, it wasn't really what I was hoping for. So. I would recommend it to you if, you, if you're if you a fan of these kind of side stories that are not not part of the main characters. I mean, they do have Darth Vader in there, so I, I guess you can kind of consider him a main character. He really plays a small part, you know, so. So overall, I would say not one of my favorites. It wasn't horrible, but there was stuff I liked about it. So I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to a new reader to Star Wars, but if you've read a ton of Star Wars novels and you love Star Wars novels and it doesn't matter if it's a side character main character, Sure, cool story. A lot of cool stuff happened in it, so I would recommend it under under those circumstances. Um, Enough about Jack's pavin. All right, let's move on to our comic review for this month. Um, This is actually a little bit different. This is the uh, uh, the Star Wars, the Clone Wars, Defenders of the Lost Temple, and this isn't your typical dark horse uh, comic where they collect you know four or five issues, throw into a trade paperback. This is actually uh, released as a trade paperback uh, and kind of I guess you would say it's kind of designed for younger readers um, and it's 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 drawn kind of in the Clone Wars style uh, so it's definitely got a lighter look to it um, not quite as serious not quite as dark as maybe some of the other comics that you read in the dark horse stuff but still pretty cool it's cool stories um, and so we decided to go ahead even though it's kind of it skews a little bit younger we decided to go ahead and read it and uh, and give it a review. So Star Wars The Clone Wars Defenders of The Lost Temple the release date was March 13th 2013 so it just came out last month the writers Justin Acklin or Aslan, not sure how to pronounce that and then the artist was Ben Bates. Um, and let me just read the publisher summary real quick here. On a mission with a Jedi General one clone trooper contemplates his own worth as a copy of The Great Mandalorian Warrior He has never been the best soldier, and he learns about the Jedi and the power of the Force. He begins to feel that perhaps what has been setting him apart from the other clones is his own connection to the Force. As the investigation progresses through a booby-trapped abandoned Jedi temple, this one clone will discover who he is and also see where he came from when the Mandalorian Death Watch suddenly appears. So, sounds interesting. We just talked about a novel that had a a force sensitive maybe force sensitive droid and now we have a force sensitive clone so interesting uh... characters here that they're choosing to to give the force but um... the timeline for this one is actually falls between season four and season five of the clone wars so it kind of rewinds a little bit from what we know from the clone wars what i think is cool about these comics eric is the clone wars has been canceled you know which we're, we're both very sad about
0: wait the clone wars was canceled
1: yeah, I don't know if you got. Oh, I'm sorry that this is the first you're hearing it. Yeah. Are you kidding <laughs> me? This this is a late April Fool's joke, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I wish, I wish, but I mean, we both we both loved the Clone Wars. We've done our, our fair share of you know posts online and reviews on podcasts. So we both watched the show. We both loved it. And um, but the thing I like about these comics is it's kind of continuing the Clone Wars, even though it's not the way we like it on the t- on on TV. We're still getting some of these stories. You know, that were already in development in the comics uh, before the show was canceled. So, and that's kind of what I, I liked about this. It, I, when I started reading it, I was like, oh, this is kind of like a Clone Wars story that I haven't heard about yet. So, um, and I know you're not a big comic book fan, but I forced you to read this one so we could review it. Um, what were kind of your overall, just quick overall thoughts before we get too deep into it?
0: Well, first, let me say this is the first comic I've ever read. So uh... For what?
1: Really? Yes,
0: absolutely serious. Wow. The first comic I've ever read, um, and as a consequence, I'm probably not going to give this the best review. I'm I'm not sort of – I haven't had time really to sort of hone my, my reviewing skills when it comes to comics, so I'm not sure exactly what people are hoping to hear, but, you know, overall, I, I think you're right. This is definitely meant for a younger audience on, on the same – you know, by the same token, I think it, it also has some themes that we're seeing in the Clone Wars in, you know, even more mature ways, whether it's the, the idea of the clone questioning his place or the Jedi questioning her place. I mean, this has some themes that, you know, maybe they're presented in a in a simple, I guess is the, is, is the best way to describe it, a simple way, but, you know, if you start actually thinking about these issues, and I'm sure that if, if a, a young kid reads this comic, they're going to start thinking about these issues, it, it, it takes you to some pretty interesting places when you think about the Jedi's place in the overall war, the clones' place in the overall war. Uh, I think this was sprinkled in with some pretty interesting, uh, thought-provoking scenes.
1: Good. Well, I did not know this was your first comic. I kind of feel bad. <laughs> that, really? That, well, I mean, this is a comic that, although I did enjoy, I wouldn't say it would be something I would want to be somebody's first comic that they've ever read. Maybe we can talk after the show and I can recommend some uh, some other Star Wars Expanded Universe uh, comics that I think you should check out. Sure. <laughs> All right, but my overall thoughts, um, I really liked it. I kind of liked getting away from some of these deeper, darker, twist, like twisty-turny stories that I've been reading lately in Star Wars and have just kind of a simple, straightforward, lighthearted story that you could just have fun with. And that's kind of what I liked about this. So. We'll get into the story here. What we're going to do is we're going to actually kind of walk through it. Uh, we won't take too long. We don't have a lot of time left, but we'll, we'll kind of speed read through this story and just kind of go through it. We'll talk about the different characters and, and what we thought about them. But basically, the overall story for this is we have uh, a Jedi Master uh, named Utrilla and her Padawan, whose name is Renax or Renax. Um Eutrilla is a Twi'lek. And then her Padawan, I'm not sure, she does, She looks humanoid, but she kind of looks like she has like a yellowish type skin, so I'm not sure exactly what her species is, but um, pretty, pretty much she looked human. Um, and they're going to this, this hidden temple, because they're trying to recover this artifact that's very powerful. That It's like a, I don't know if it was like a Sith artifact maybe, I'm forgetting some of the details, but if basically it's this, this uh, gauntlet that can in, enhance someone's force powers. Um, and they want to get a hold of that and make sure it doesn't fall into the wrong hand. So they go with a small force of clones. There's, uh, I believe, four clones that they're with. And they're going to this temple. First impressions of these Jedi. Um, the the master looks pretty typical. She's got the brown robes. Uh, looks pretty serious throughout the, sh- throughout the comic. She's, she, you know, she stayed pretty serious. And then you have the Padawan, who looked not quite traditional Jedi garb. You know, she's wearing kind of a jumpsuit with a little vest. I kind of thought, now, I don't know if you're probably too young to remember the old X-Men cartoon.
0: Uh, Are you thinking of um, Scott? Is
1: that his name? Uh, Cyclops? No, I'm thinking uh, of this Jedi Padawan here. She reminds me of Jubilee. Oh, okay. Because I remember Cyclops.
0: I've seen Cyclops dressed in a similar sort of jumpsuit with a vest type thing.
1: Yeah definitely with the, the green, or the, not the green, the yellow and black, it kind of does have like a little bit of an X-Men look to it, and then just the, the little bit the look of the character just kind of, for whatever reason, she reminded me of, of a character named Jubilee um, from the old X-Men cartoon, so that kind of popped out to me. So basically they're at this temple, and um, you know, they they find their way in, trying to figure out this um, you know, where to find this, this artifact. Um, now the clones in the story were very interesting. There's four of them. I don't for for whatever reason I I couldn't I I don't know the names of all three, of them, but I, there was the clone lieutenant. His name was Law, and then uh, you have another one named Horns, who he's wear, he's actually wearing Death Watch markings. Okay, did you find that uh, cool, weird, interesting? What did you think about this this clone who who uh, thought it was cool to wear Death Watch markings?
0: Very weird. To me, this would be like. Um, a, a, a GI wearing a swastika in World War II. I mean, who like who, what training sergeant watches these clones file into a ship and says, "Oh, that guy's wearing the symbol of a, a band of mercenaries who terrorizes clone troopers and Jedi alike, and you know goes across the galaxy and has you know sworn their vengeance against the Republic." That's fine. He'll he'll be fine. Who? I mean, how did this get past quality control in the Republic Army? To me, this is this is beyond simple. You know, aspirations for a more exciting life. This is a a kind of deviance that I would have I would have had somebody put a note in this guy's file.
1: Yeah, it was kind of interesting. Yeah, but I I like the discussion that they have where he the the guy the other clone kind of questions him about it, like, hey, what's up with that marking? Why are you wearing the Death Watch marking? And he kind of comes back, hey, you know, we're we're clones of a Mandalorian, and I'm just representing Mandalorians. You know, which is interesting to me because. Um, in the, in the Republic Commando novels, now, I, I will, you know, admit readily, I have not actually read all of those novels, but I'm familiar with the stories, and I know some of the arguments on, you know, how they portray the clones, and the clones are really into Mandalorian culture when it, when it comes to those novels. Now, when the Clone Wars TV show started up, they kind of got away from that. The clones don't really ever talk about the Mandalorians, they don't, relate with them and they it was almost like they were trying to wipe that clean like okay that that's in those novels but we're not we're going to kind of ignore it now but then you have this in this clone wars comic that ties directly with the show and it kind of seems like they're going back to that whole thing where the clones do or at least some of them in this guy's case do like to relate themselves with the mandalorians what do you think about that yeah
0: i mean i think that's fine i i like the idea that they look up to jango fett you know but Death Watch was a bridge too far for me. It seemed unrealistic that you could know who Death Watch were and not have a, a bit of apprehension about idolizing them. But I think you're right. In in general terms, the idea of looking at your, I guess, your forefather in a sense and, and idolizing him and viewing him as the the perfect specimen of a warrior. I mean, if you're bred to fight a war and you know that, you're going to look up to the archetypal example of that Of that behavior and that to them at least that's Jango Fett
1: yeah yeah I'll be interested I would love to talk to maybe Leland or somebody over at Lucasfilm and kinda get where does Lucasfilm currently stand on the status of Jango Fett as a Mandalorian because I know there was some talk that they really were trying to get away from him being associated to the Mandalorians he was kinda this You know this bounty hunter that happened to wear Mandalorian armor, but he never was a Mandalorian. um, You know that from the Clone Wars perspective. Now, obviously, from the EU perspective, he's very much a Mandalorian. So it it would be interesting to kind of have a conversation and see what the official current official standing is on that. But um, but moving on in the story here, we have uh one of the clones whose name is Glitch, which is a these guys all get very appropriate names. He's kind of a klutz a little bit, but and the other, he's almost like the butt of the joke for the other clones that he's with, but this clone fancies himself uh, a Force-sensitive, which I thought was kind of interesting. He thinks he has the Force, or possibly has the Force, um, so that was kind of an interesting twist. I know they've kind of dabbled with clones in the past, you know, maybe some clones having Force-sensitivity in other stories, so this isn't the first time we've seen this, but, um, What, how did you like it here in this story? Should they stay away from that, you know, or is that something that you find interesting that the Force can manifest itself in anybody, including clones?
0: I think, I've always struggled with the idea of how the Force manifests itself. Um, If it's truly a sentient essence, like, if it's a life force with a a, a mind of its own, as it were, then I have no problem with this. Um, But if the, the idea of midichlorians means that there is something... Genetic, where you can pass it down. I mean, look, parents of, of uh, you know, Jedi who get married and have kids, we expect their kids to have some Force sensitivity. Now, why is that? We've internalized this idea of it being hereditary, of it being something where it's passed on. I mean, there's the whole original trilogy is sort of premised on the idea that there's an, an idea of lineage and that you can have connections to family that where you know. I mean Luke says the force is strong in my family that 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 suggests something about the way that you can you can have the potential to be a Jedi and I don't know I I found myself looking at this clone and thinking this is it's kind of like what we were talking about with i5 in the book you know how far you extend the idea that it can manifest in anyone I mean it is you know supposedly all around us and in the rock and the tree and whatever but I think for 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 a clone to develop the the potential that that also suggests to me that there's something else going on with it.
1: Yeah. I think the EU has kind of made us think a certain way when it comes to force sensitivity that it is hereditary. Um, and I don't know if that was ever George Lucas's intentions for it to be quite that way. And but it seems like in the expanded universe anytime a J- Jedi have children, at least one of their kids is force sensitive, if not all. You know, like in the case of the Solos, obviously all of them were Force-sensitive. So, you know, Ben Skywalker's Force-sensitive. And then you have you do have some examples of, of people having kids that aren't. But more often than not, if a Jedi has a child, they're Force-sensitive. So I think that's kind of something that has come from the EU as opposed to the films. But, um, you know, it's kind of something that we've just come to accept. But, yeah, when it comes to clones, with a, this particular clone having the Force... I thought it was an interesting twist and it didn't really bother me. I I wouldn't want it to be something that would pop up very often like where, you know, 10% of clones have the force or even five, you know, even 1%, but um, you know, maybe 1 in a million kind of thing, sure, why not.
0: And I also think that this comic, I mean, you said it at the outset. This was this was geared towards a young audience. And so one of the things that I saw them doing in this in this comic was suggesting that if, if you feel like the odd man out and you look up to people who have abilities that you don't think you have, the message of this of this clone in this comic seemed to be you may have potential that you haven't thought about. And so, it, I don't know, it, it bothers me a little bit that if that's why they did it, you know, that this isn't infinities, that, that this is being entered into uh, at least some level of recognized canon that clones can have uh, force potential, or that they think they might, Um but I, I understand for the story why they did it.
1: Yeah. So basically this clone, Glitch, he makes a mistake um, and accidentally activates this, this uh, statue that's in this Jedi temple um, that actually attacks the clones and the Jedi. They have to fight it. They, you, you know, they're able to, to deactivate it um, through some qu- some clever thinking of the Jedi. And there's a couple of these battle scenes where I'm seeing the two Jedi with their lightsabers out. I really got a, like a Teen Titans kind of vibe from the artwork. Now, I don't know, you seem about the right age for Teen Titans. I was actually a little bit, probably a little too old for it, but I still enjoyed it. Um, but did you ever watch that show?
0: I did, and I, I definitely see that vibe, especially with the Jedi Master when she's reacting to the gauntlet and her eyes sort of go wide, and then in the next few panels you see her sort of, a little bit sullen, sort of recognizing how much power is in this. The, the facial expressions reminded me a lot of, uh, in particular, a character. Oh, who's the, the redhead in
1: Teen Titans? Um, oh, shoot. I'm losing geek cred as we speak. I was
0: just going to say, well, whoever it is. Yeah. Her, yeah.
1: Yeah, they, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, definitely the character faces, the expressions, things like that. It definitely seems very inspired by that type of art style. Which I really liked. I thought it was kinda of cool. Um, you know, if you're gonna go cartoony as opposed to realistic when it comes to art, why not why not go ultra cartoony, which I kind of enjoyed. And it works with it being kind of more of a kid's story too. So they kind of they're continuing to go through, um, and try to discover this here. Starfire, by
0: the way. Starfire, yeah, there you go.
1: Follow up. Did you did you have to look did you Google that or
0: Oh uh, I just opened my um fanfiction archives and I found my, my story about her.
1: <laughs> I gonna, mean, yeah, no, I went on Wikipedia. I'm going to pretend you were joking. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so then, you know, the story goes on. The clones happen upon this mass of creatures that I guess are surrounding uh, this gauntlet. They accidentally activate, I don't know, they're, they're these biological creatures um, that kind of look like millipedes or roly-polies. Yeah, they kind of had like a giant roly-poly vibe to them. These are the the ones who are like it looks like a pillar. Yeah. And it's like pulsing with
0: lights and then one of the clones touches it and it beca- they just sort of unfold. Yeah, that was gross.
1: Yeah, and they all kind of fight and in this part of the story I was kinda of like, okay, eh. Like it it seemed like they you know, they had to fight the statue, now they have to fight these things. It almost was starting to feel like a video game, you know. They're getting through each level and there's a new a new thing they have to fight before they get to the boss.
0: And it's also, like, it's so improbably easy. Like, they escape every time. I would have liked to see a little bit of attrition in the clone ranks, but I guess they only have a few of them to begin with.
1: Yeah. So they they defeat these, or they they fight off these these bugs, and then they, the bugs were all surrounding this gauntlet that they're trying to discover, so they, they actually get that, that gauntlet there. Um, and I guess at this point, the Jedi Master realizes, like, how dangerous this thing is. And she really gets kind of scared. And you can see it in her expressions in her face. Um, let's see. She says here, I touched it, and I was overwhelmed by its dark side powers. It's too dangerous to move for us anyway. So I guess their their mission was to bring it back to the Jedi Temple, I think. to Back to the Jedi. And now she's kind of thinking, maybe we shouldn't even bring it anywhere because this is too too dangerous am I getting that right do you remember
0: yeah I think it was like they were either supposed to bring it back or if they couldn't do that to make sure that nobody else could ever find it again
1: right so uh, so basically they decide to hole up for the night in this temple so they they set up their little their little uh, clone tents that look pretty cool These like they're like these little it looks like almost like inflatable teepees which I thought was kind of an interesting uh, design yeah, it's like a looks
0: like a birthday hat.
1: Yeah <laughs> yeah. Like it's not your typical like camping tent. No, not at all. But I guess they can't they don't have time to fight with all the poles and stuff, so they, they have these that look like they just kinda of press a button and they pop up, so That's I, handy. I need to get a, a tent like that. Yeah. But as they're setting up these tents, it looks like uh basically Glitch and the the young Padawan girl go off together and kinda of just have this conversation. They're they're the ones that are kind of on watch as the rest are sleeping and they have and they have this uh their convert this kind of deep conversation i guess you could say you know the clone's asking her why are you being nice to me you know she laughs back you know it almost came came across as a little bit flirtatious what do you think did you think that it did i did think that and it
0: reminded me at first it, it reminded me of flirtation and then i sort of started thinking about it as more of like what season five of the Clone Wars was all about from that amnesiac clone to Ahsoka. It was, it It initially seemed um hokey, I guess, considering that, you know, he's like twice her age and he's also, you know, a soldier bred to fight a war. But then it, it actually seemed to take on a really strong message and and show the ways in which, like in the Clone Wars TV show, these characters are linked by more than you would think.
1: Yeah. And I thought there was some interesting parallels with this character to Ahsoka. Almost like she was kind of filling in for Ahsoka in this story. Um, And kind of some of the stuff that she says here, uh, let me read it. Uh, They sensed the Force was strong in me as a youngling, and I was brought to Coruscant. No one asked if I would be okay fighting in a war in a few years. And then she says, I was born to be a warrior no matter what, what what it is that I want to be. So she was, you know, this is kind of the the dilemma of these young Jedi that are being forced into this war, is this, it wasn't necessarily something they ever had a choice in. You know, they were brought into the Jedi Temple as babies and never really had a choice as what they want to be, and now they're fighting this war. So it's kind of interesting to see this perspective of this Padawan, and it it kind of parallels a little bit of some of the conversations that, you know, we heard from Ahsoka as well.
0: Yeah, and I think that one of the ways that the comics can expand on the show in a, in a positive way, in a way that, you know, fans of the show will want to read these comics, is if they take the same themes, but they maybe flesh them out a bit differently. And, you know, I, I'm racking my brain here, but I can't recall a time when Ahsoka or another Jedi had this kind of conversation with a clone who was sort of feeling left out. I mean, we really, what we see here is these two... Um, Storylines linking together very explicitly, and it gives this. It gives him heart, you know. It, it makes Glitch feel like somebody else understands where he's coming from.
1: Yeah. So as they're sitting there, then lo and behold, who shows up? But the Death Watch, and of course the Death Watch, led by Pre-Vizsla, um are also there to to get this, you know, powerful artifact for themselves. Uh, so they show up, um, and and then with pre Uh, we also have Bo-Katan who's there which is interesting you know she doesn't really play a big part in here oh. at all and I, I have a feeling that this comic was probably written uh, before she she played her role in the the later of season 5 so it's kinda of before she became a big character because at this point they don't even she never even takes her helmet off so but it was kinda of cool just to see her inclusion and she is even called out by name so we know for sure that it's her what do you think about the Mandalorian showing up? Was it kind of uh, too convenient? They needed a, a recognizable bad guy, so they brought Pre Vizsla. Like, what did you think about it, Eric?
0: Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it was important to show this particular clone who has the Death Watch sigil on his on his forehead to show him that these guys aren't some people to be idolized. Um, he has a good scene where he he, he he's. Previsla gives him the gun and says, Alright, if you want to join us, go ahead. You just have to kill the Jedi and he says, I can't do it and, you know, both him and Glitch sort of get their learning moments here in this in this comic. But anytime Pre visla is introduced, I roll my eyes, I sort of I pre roll my eyes because, you know, I as soon as I saw him swoop in, I knew that within, you know, three or four panels, he would say something about how he wanted like revenge on everybody. And then sure enough, I, I flip the page here and he says pretty much the only line that he has, you know, in in the Clone Wars TV show, uh, you know, he says the same thing, but he says it in three or four different forms. And here he says it again. He wants his revenge on Dooku, the Jedi, and the whole galaxy. So not not a lot of nuance there from Previsla, but overall, I think if you're gonna if you need a threat and you also need that this this character who worships the Death Watch to be um, to have that notion sort of. Uh, removed from his from his view to have him sort of realize that these guys are trouble, you know, why not bring in the Death Watch? I mean, I, maybe the Separatists would have been just as good of an opponent here. Um, but on the other hand, you know, you've got two Jedi and several, several clones. You can't just send some battle droids at them. They need to be faced with a challenge. So, you know, why not? I mean, pre like I said, I rolled my eyes. But overall, I think it was fine.
1: Yeah. And I was glad to see that the clone, all, for all the big talks that he had earlier... You know, he kind of backed down from the Mandalorians, and, you know, I was happy to see that he didn't join them. You know, I was afraid that maybe that's the direction they were going, but um, I was happy to see that he he stayed loyal.
0: Yeah, and there was a little bit of Order 66 there. Um, yeah. It kind of made me wonder, like, at what point does this guy start thinking differently about the Jedi, if he ever does? I mean, it was so... It seemed very automatic that he, he refused to shoot her. There was... There didn't seem to be much doubt in his mind, um and so how we go from that to
1: episode three is really interesting to think about yeah, and well unfortunately, we may never we may never get connections that we would like from the Clone Wars into episode three because of the cancellation of the show, but who knows they could you know maybe they'll continue some of those season six season seven storylines in you know other forms like the comics um. They already have an established Clone Wars comic line out there. You know, why not have some of those scripts, you know, turn them into some cool comic book storylines, at least so we can figure out what Dave Filoni, George Lucas, what they did intend for the show to end like. Absolutely. But We don't want to get off on too much of a tangent on that. That's for another day. But uh, so basically glitch through the battle actually gets a hold of a lightsaber that was the Padawan. The Padawan girl had actually had two lightsabers. She lost one of her lightsabers in the battle, and he actually gets a hold of it and actually has a little bit of a lightsaber battle, if you can call it that, with pre Vizsla, which was an interesting visual to see um, this clone with a lightsaber. And then, of course, he uses his accent from earlier in the comic where he accidentally activated that statue. And now he purposely does it, um, so this so the Mandalorian Death Watch will have to face off against this you know giant statue, use that as kind of like a distraction, and then the other the other clones are able to jump in and help uh, defeat these these Death Watch. Kind of a cool battle. I found it interesting that they had this clone fighting with a lightsaber. What did you think about that? Well, once again, I
0: mean. Han Solo wielding it for about two seconds, that's fine with me. Um, clones just holding lightsabers and using them. I mean, look, he didn't beat Pre Vizsla, but then, you know, it's not like Obi-Wan did when he faced Pre Vizsla. So, you know, not being able to beat him is not a sign of, of weakness with the lightsaber. I mean, overall, I think this guy did surprisingly well with the lightsaber. Um, it, it was... Seem far-fetched to me. I don't know. Maybe I have a different impression of wielding a lightsaber than other people do, but I think it, it has been stated by, by people in the know that it's, an, it's supposed to be difficult to hold the thing. You're not supposed to be able to hold it like a sword. It's supposed to require the Force to, you know, to be in tune with the Force to stabilize the weapon in your hands, because you know from a physics perspective, if it's just a beam of light, you're not going to get the heft that you would have with a real sword, and yet this clone seems perfectly adept at wielding it. Um, doing about as much damage to Pre as, as a lot of other Jedi have done, so I don't know. Another thing that's strained credibility for me.
1: Yeah, and I think the EU has been pretty inconsistent when it comes to non-force, you know, people wielding lightsabers. Um, you know, even in the Clone Wars, we saw that um, that one bounty hunter that was working with Cad Bane, who was able to, like, she was able to change form, so we thought she was that Jedi librarian.
0: That was um, uh, Lightsaber Lost, right?
1: No, that wasn't Lightsaber Lost. That was um, might have been Holocron Heist or or one oh, that's in that right. in that when series. break into the temple and steal the holocron. Yeah, yeah. Holocron Heist. Yeah, and so the one the one uh, bounty hunter. Kato
0: Parasiti, I think.
1: Yeah, there you go. Yeah, she you know she takes on the form of a Jedi, so she she has a actually has a battle with Ahsoka, and she was very good with the lightsaber. Um, you yeah. know, so that kind of that kind of doesn't fall in line quite with what you were just going explaining, as far as it being hard for a non-force user to handle. Um, we've had comics where Boba Fett actually fought with a lightsaber, which I always thought was cheesy. Yeah. And you know, obviously we have this clone here. So I like the idea that force, non-force wielding people should have a hard time with it. I like that better. But unfortunately, the EU doesn't always stick to those rules. But um, so back to the story here, basically. They um, something we kind of skipped over earlier is the when they were trying to get into this temple, there was this barrier, this door that they had to get through, and they had a bunch of different holes in it, and the Jedi had to know which hole to put the lightsaber into to open the door. At this point, if they had done, if they, I guess, if they had chosen wrong, then it would basically cause this uh, the temple to kind of self-destruct. Well, at this point, glitched purposely chooses wrongly and the temple begins to fall down they uh you know this huge avalanche pretty much everybody escapes um but unfortunately glitch does not escape and he kind of you know they lead us to believe that he has given his life you know to save his comrades and with him i guess goes the the gauntlet which um is what they were trying to protect or which they were trying to make sure the mandalorians didn't get a hold of so you know, he is able to cause that too because it basically all falls underneath the rubble. Um, And then, obviously, Pre-Visla gets away because you can't have him, you know, you can't have him captured at this point because he still needs to do a lot of stuff in Season 5 of The Clone Wars. What did you think about the, kind of the ending here at the temple and and how it went down?
0: Uh, I think it was better before we, spoiler alert, learned that Glitch survived. (laughs) I think there actually would have been some weight to this. I mean, nobody died in this. The only person who died, I think, was one of them, Death Watch. We see his body on the ground as everybody else is leaving. And yet, the end of this comic surprised me by going somewhere that I think they'd be willing to go, by killing this character that they'd made central. And then the Padawan d- leaves the Jedi Order because she, you know, she feels like she's taken something special from their connection, that if he sacrificed himself to be who he was, she should do the, She she should, you know, be who she is, and she doesn't feel like she fits in. And then, it kind of ruined that for a cheap joke, which is that he had grabbed onto the gauntlet and survived. Um, I mean, it was funny, like slapstick funny in the sense that it didn't – it was incongruous with the rest of the story, but it gave you a little laugh. But I don't know. I think I would have i would have preferred for him to, to remain dead.
1: Yeah. I think because it's kind of a kid's story, it makes sense that they show that he lived. Kind of yeah, probably. Gr- growing up on cartoons and that kind of stuff, you kind of – they don't usually show people die. Now, obviously, you know, modern cartoons have kind of changed that. But I kind of like, I'm, I'm okay with it. I can give him a pass. Like, I agree with you, it would have held a little bit more weight if he had actually died. But I'm okay with the fact that he had lived. And then who knows, you know, maybe if this this series goes on, and you know, maybe he'll show back up at some point. Um, but what I did really find interesting, more so than that, at the end here, is this Padawan that's leaving the Jedi Order which you would think is pretty rare, but it seems like they're pretty cool with it, like the master is just kind of letting her go, which I thought was interesting because of the timing of this comic coming out so soon after the last episode of The Clone Wars, where Ahsoka, you know, decides to leave the Jedi Order. Um, So there's even more parallels here between this character and Ahsoka. Um, Did that stick out to you at all? Oh, absolutely,
0: and I I think this is another one of those things where the fact that this is meant for kids... They, they did some things that maybe a more um, a, a comic that was more central to the expanded universe would not have done. For example, uh, letting the clone be pretty good with the lightsaber. Um, another thing, I think, is the Jedi leaving the Order. This didn't seem to hold true to what we know about the Jedi, which is that they don't take these things lightly. Maybe there was some conversation off-panel, off off-page, where her master made the case to the council, and they said, look, if you really don't feel like you fit in... We're not going to stop you, but I think maybe it's just in light of Ahsoka and the trouble that she had, the 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 Anakin fighting hard to keep her in the order. But I, I feel like even before that, we had this notion of the Jedi Order as you know getting them young and not letting them go. Um, this was this was very clearly done in a way so that it fit this story of finding out who you're who you're supposed to be. And it, it, it was a little bit jarring, you know, the ease with which she was
1: able to leave. So so ends the comic, but um, we'll, we'll give our final thoughts here. We'll try to do that pretty quick, and then we'll, then we'll wrap up. Um, so I'll go first, since I let you go first last time. But um, overall, I actually really did enjoy the story. Uh, I like the simplicity of it. I like that it was lighthearted. It was fun. Um, there was definitely some interesting choices made as far as, you know, having a clone that you know, and they never really told us if he was Force-sensitive or not. It kind of, I was kind of leaning toward the fact that maybe he had like a very small amount of Force-sensitivity, but nothing that he would ever be, you know, able to be trained as a Jedi or anything like that. But I was okay with that, and the the appearance of Pre-Vizsla was kind of, it was kind of cool. I've always liked that character. I, th- I like the way that character looks. I I like Mandalorians as characters in general. I think they have, you know, the cool equipment, the jetpacks, the helmets, everything looks cool, so I'm okay with him being there. And you know, Overall, I really, really did enjoy the story, if you kind of think of it as a kid's story. Now if this was meant to be a story for adults, then I probably would have been a little bit more critical. But overall, I thought this was fun, I, and I think these are kind of comics that have kind of fallen, they're not really in the main, the, the main uh, spotlight when it comes to the expanded universe. And I think these are kind of stories that maybe people should check out now that the Clone Wars is gone. This might be really all we have left as they finish out you know these last few I know they have another one coming up that's gonna that's gonna have Kenobi as a main character, but you know these are might be the last few Clone Wars stories that live in that little Clone Wars universe uh that we get so these this might be stuff people would wanna check out well.
0: I feel, I kind of feel like the way you said it uh, that that puts it best. I mean, this was clearly geared toward a younger audience. Like you, I think I, I spared a little bit of criticism because I recognize that um, it it was funny. I mean, it was clearly it it, it went farther towards making the clones um, comic relief almost. Um, there's you know one of the best jokes in here is you know because um, glitch has been has been you know trying to um, feel the force when they get attacked by the bugs. He's back to back with this other clone, and he says, "I sense the dark side at work." As they're being, you know, attacked by the bugs, and the other clone says, "That doesn't count as a premonition. This is happening right now." And that, <laughs> that actually, that genuinely was funny to me um, because it played on the idea that the Jedi are able to sense things happening um, and and get premonitions when maybe there's something, you know, evil already afoot that they might have been able to just notice. Um, so yeah, I, it played on the idea of of the Jedi being. Wizards and the clones sort of being interested in that power, but but it was very um, geared towards clearly geared towards the younger audience. It was funny. Uh, it was a, it, it read pretty quick. it was a nice story. I would say it managed to incorporate humor and some really interesting messages that resonated with the clones and with the jedi and it it, it didn't feel burdened by those by those themes.
1: cool. so so overall, you enjoyed it? would you would you recommend it to someone or you kind of think,, oh, maybe not. This is kind of more for kids?
0: Uh, I would recommend it to somebody who is is I would recommend it to a young person. Let me put it that way. if If you're starting to find a place to start with Star Wars Comics and you want to start with the Clone Wars era, I would say this is an interesting comic three. It establishes some of the themes that run throughout the the era, particularly with Death Watch and with the Clones and the Jedi. Um, but, no, I, I don't think I would say that, that you should read this if you're just getting started as an adult and you want to find a good Clone Wars comic. Also, I don't know of any other Clone Wars comics, so it's hard to say.
1: <laughs> well, this is, you have taken your first step into a larger world, hopefully. I really... the comics are kind of... some of the comics are some of my favorite parts of the Expanded Universe, even more so than the novels. And the beauty of comics is, as you probably learned with this one, you can pick that thing up, get a full story you know it probably took you less than an hour to read that thing, yeah you know so as opposed to a novel where you it's kind of more of a, a laboring process that you have to get through you know however many hours you know comics are nice where you can kind of go through them um, quickly and still get a cool story and the visuals are there for you so you don't even have to to work your brain too hard to imagine stuff because they've kind of already put it out there for you so it's a nice change of pace so anyone that's into the EU if you haven't gotten into comics yet um I would definitely recommend you know seek out, you know send us an email or or any of your friends that are, that are into the comics and get some recommendations um because there's definitely some really cool comic book stories out there. So, all right, well for that we'll we'll go ahead and end up the sh- end the show now. Eric, thanks a ton for coming on. Um sorry Teresa couldn't be here. I know she she would have wanted to be because you know you guys are friends you know as well. So, hopefully we can have you on again. Um is there any, you know, anything that you're that's going on right now over at the Forcecast or anything you kind of want to, you know, pimp a little bit? Um, gosh, do I want to pimp anything? You know, <laughs> I would just say if you
0: if if you enjoy Star Wars bookworms, which I do, and if you are interested in hearing the same level of dedication, the same level of passion, you know, not to toot our own horns, but I would like to think that we bring a certain amount of fun to Star Wars just like you guys do. So, yeah, check out forcecast.net. Uh that's where we got our shows. And if you just want to keep up with the daily sort of um, drip drop of Star Wars news, we've got that at
1: TheForce.net as well. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on. Um, So for you listeners, uh, thanks again for tuning in. And next month we are going to be covering um, a a novel and a comic again, and it's going to be Darth Maul Death Sentence. It's going to be the comic that we're going to cover. Um, And then we're also going to cover the, the new... Dawn of the Jedi into the Void novel, which is the novel that's set in the beginning of time of Star Wars, so that should be interesting. They have never gone that far back in time, um, so we'll be covering those two things. Uh, look for that coming out sometime in May. Um, check us out on Twitter, Twitter at SW Bookworms. You can always uh, check out our Facebook page. Just go on Facebook, search Star Wars Bookworms, we'll pop right up. Um, you know, go ahead and like that page. That'd be great, and um, follow us on Twitter. Send us an email, StarWarsBookworms@gmail.com, at gmail.com, if you have any questions, if you want recommendations on where to start in the comics or even the novels, um, or just any questions for us. Um, shoot us an email. We'd love that. And um, last but not least, check us out on iTunes. And if you do, um, leave us a review, rate us. That helps us uh, get more visible. We actually uh, recently... We were on the new and note, noteworthy page. Now, we were pretty far down on the page, but we were on it. So, you know, it's, it, the more ratings and reviews we get, you know, the more recognition we can get where more people can find us. And so, uh, go ahead and do that if you, if you have a chance. Uh, but we'll catch up with you guys next time, and uh, everybody have a great day. All right.